So when I say temptation, the word temptation, what comes to mind for you? Is it chocolate after 9 p.m.? Is it something to do with sex? Is it wanting to smack a coworker upside the head, but you can't because you're on Zoom and because you would get fired? The thing about temptation is it's, in a lot of ways, it's actually defined by culture what temptation is. What we're tempted to do that we're told we're not supposed to do because in, depending on what culture you're in, certain things that you are aren't supposed to do are either emphasized or minimized. For example, I'm not really tempted to eat pork because if I want some, I can go get some and I'll eat it and I won't feel guilty at all eating Central Barbecue. But that's not true depending on what culture you're in, what religion that you uh, are committed to and believe in. And I know Memphis would be a very different place without Christianity. Lots of less barbecue options. Um, did you see that Corky's got rated the best barbecue in Memphis by, by somebody? I know, I, I, I've never seen your expression so clear through the masks as I just did. Yeah, yeah, which they better keep that out of Midtown because we're not, we're not up with that. They must, they, must have, they must have been polling some folks outside of the city limits that only had a few options or something like that. Um, anyway, that, that has nothing to do with the, the rest of what I'm talking about. But um, the reason why I'm bringing this up, that some things might feel like temptations for some people and for others not, simply because of cultural preferences of what's kind of been emphasized or not emphasized, is because the things that we find here in this text as the things Jesus was most tempted by probably don't make the list, the top 10 list for what most of us would think about that we would associate with Christianity. Like these are the things I really need to make sure I don't do or do do. <laughs> um, I have a two-year-old. Uh, and, and the things we see that are really tempting to Jesus, the son of God in the desert, there's no sex on there, there's no chocolate. There's no swear words. There's none of that kind of stuff. It's just a very different list. And we're gonna just look at the first one, turning stone to bread. How many of you have ever been, don't lie, how many of you have ever been tempted to turn stone to bread? Yeah, you liars. Maybe you'll see what I mean in, in just a moment here. So let's, let's set the, the stage here. In the first couple of verses, it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and he left the Jordan and he was led, the Jordan's a river, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them, he was hungry. Understatement of the week in the Bible there, right? So Jesus has been, baptized in the Jordan. So he's been baptized fully into the community of God. One of the first instances of 
what we would trace Christian baptism to. And he's filled with the spirit of God. He's empowered by God. He feels like he belongs as the son of God, as the spirit of God, proclaim that over him after his baptism. And then it says he's led out by that same spirit into the desert for 40 days of temptation and fasting. And he didn't eat during that time. It's actually possible to do a 40-day fast. Anybody want to try it? That's a church-wide thing. You want to try that, 40-day fast? No? Um, so, uh, so he's out there, and he's, he's fasting. And the Jewish people reading this would have immediately been familiar with some things. They would have been familiar with the fact that 40 days is a reminder of the 40 years that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. And that on the way out to the wilderness, they had a baptism of sorts through the Red Sea. And that the temptations that Jesus is faced with by the accuser, by Satan, are reminiscent of the things that the Israelites themselves fell prey to in the desert. And so the conclusion that a Jewish listener would come to here is that the life of Jesus is embodying the life of the people of God, the people of Israel, that he is living through a sort of of recapitulation, reorientation, retelling of the life of the people of God. And so it's in this setting that the hungry Jesus encounters this accuser, this Satan, this devil, who tempts him. He was tempted. He wanted to do these things, or it wouldn't be called the temptation. So in verse 3, it says this. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Like I said before, I have a two-year-old and a just-turned-six-year-old. Malia just turned six last week, and we had central barbecue for her birthday. And Benjamin is eight years old. Why, Why do I still have my mask on? Nobody told me. I mean, this mask is so oppressed. No, I'm so... Um, so children all go through this stage of trusting and mistrusting. I, I can't, this morning, my wife made oatmeal, baked oatmeal. And you ever dealt with this as a parent? And, and you know that the kid will like it. You've seen them eat it, like eat a whole bunch of it often many times before and that morning, nope, I can't, I won't eat it. I don't like it. And you cannot convince me that I'm sorry, I'm sending people into flashbacks here. I see some eyes rolling back and uh, uh. so, yeah. So children at a, up to a certain age, they're learning what does it mean to trust and whom should I trust and what does that entail? And so they're going through this, this life stage of trust and mistrust and it's, it's a crucial and important stage to human development. And uh, I don't know, 
right now if my wife is up there with Xavier in childcare or not, but she's trying to build a bridge between, hey, I'm gonna be there and I'm not gonna be there and I'm gonna come back, okay? And, and you can trust that just because you don't see me in the moment or because I haven't fed you dinner yet, the dinner is coming, I'm coming back, it's gonna be okay. And one of the ways that it seems that many of us stay often perpetually a small child in relation to God is because this is how we view our relationship and connection to God. We haven't made it out of the trust and mistrust phase. We don't have object permanence yet with God. And here's the thing. When we talk about trust, because that is exactly what Satan is attacking here, trust that Jesus believes in whom God said he is and also who God is. When we talk about trust, we're talking about the fabric of all of our relationships of society. We're talking about the wars and potential wars that we're dealing with right now in the world. Because if I am unable to trust that there is somebody to take care of me when I need help, or that God is ultimately trustworthy to provide for what I need, then we are going to go about trying to turn stones into bread. We're going to try to make and force something to happen that will not happen. The interesting thing in this case is Jesus, of course, could do it. He could turn stone into bread if he wanted to. And as he's tempted to do this, he is hearing these words from the accuser that says, hey, if you are really, like if you are who you say you are, then you should be able to get this need met. You should be able to provide for yourself. You should be able to make it happen, miracle or otherwise. And it must have given Jesus at least a, a microsecond of pause. Again, otherwise it wouldn't be a temptation. He's wrestling with this idea of trust that maybe Maybe the spirit led him out into the wilderness and then abandoned him and he's all alone and he's left with whatever resources that he has left and he is really hungry. And, and, and why, why did he end up here in the first place? Maybe he begins to question in his 40-day fast of deliriousness, why am I out here so hungry? Why did God put me into this God-forsaken position? After all, I was led there. And he thinks, yeah, maybe that's what I need to do. Turn the stone into bread. What's so bad about that? I'm not breaking any rules. 
In fact, it'd be a cool story for Luke to, and Matthew to ride down, share with people, really dazzle a few folks. But, but instead, Jesus replies with a scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, which was about and, and chronicled the wilderness experience of the Israelites. And he said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. See, he had a need, he had a hunger, and the accuser was attempting to make him think that because he had this unmet need, that he had this unmet hunger, that perhaps God had become and ceased to be reliable in his life. What Jesus recalled and remembered in that moment is that his needs were given to him by God. And still, though, that sometimes we need a reminder, we need a reminder, hear this, that every need that presents itself may not be the need that God is trying to meet in us in that moment. Said another way, sometimes the stones just need to be stones. Sometimes you need to remember why there are stones in there in the first place. That the temptation here is for us to say, well, it might, he might have come through before. It, it might have made sense before. But now I'm here and I'm hungry and I have this unmet need. And because I can't see God providing the need, now I'm just like the two-year-old. When mama's not there, I can't trust that mama was going to come back. Here's why this is such an incredible temptation as I get ready to close out my time here. Because if God is not able to be trusted, then that means this is an inherently untrustful world. You hear what I mean? I'm saying there? If God cannot be trusted, then that means the very fabric of this world is built on an inability to trust to trust one another, to trust God, to trust that faith will be met with good things in the world. So of course, of course then we look for the shortcuts. We look to amass the power. We, we look to numb ourselves out as much as we possibly can because what is left is just stones. See, the, the Israelites were faced with the same thoughts, the same temptations, the same questions. In the book of Exodus, they're out there and they're thirsty. And they're like, we're so thirsty. Did, did, did Moses, you, did you bring us out here to die? And they asked this question in Exodus 17, 7. They said, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? That might be for those of us 
looking for God, looking for the presence of God in our lives, one of the most important and undercutting questions that we face in life. Is God with me or not? Because I'm hungry and these needs of mine are not being met. And why, God, would you have given me these needs and not met them? Maybe I shouldn't trust you. Maybe I shouldn't trust anyone. Maybe I should just try to provide for myself. I recall, I recall hearing this story in a book where a man comes home from work and his daughter is at the top of the stairs and she's so happy to see him. And she says, Daddy. And she comes running down the stairs and he puts out his arms and on the last couple of stairs she jumps for him to catch her, and he lets her fall on the ground. And she cries, and he picks her back up and says, I did that so you could know what the world is really like, so that you would learn not to trust anybody. with everything going on in Ukraine and all the lives being lost and a dictator pushing in on territory, it reminded me of World War II and something that I um, was unaware of until maybe the past five years or so, that during World War II, when the, when the Jewish people were fleeing Nazi Germany, the United States let no Jewish people in. No refugees. I tell these stories because of how crucial the temptation is not to trust and the effects that it has on our world. Is God with us or not? I don't know what our country's doing or going to do with Ukraine refugees or all the other questions we have with immigration and who can we trust or not. I remember recently that a extremist held up a Jewish synagogue. Did you hear about this story? And the rabbi actually was able to uh, hit this guy with a chair when he wasn't paying attention and everybody ran out. And uh, after the fact, they were interviewing him. I heard, I heard it. And they were asking him, does this mean you're going to greet people differently in, in your synagogue? Because he didn't recognize this guy and he brought him in. He was cold and he, offered, he made him some tea and offered him some tea before synagogue. And he said, absolutely not. He said, I'm going to welcome anybody in. I'm going to keep giving tea. I cannot close my doors. I cannot become mistrustful that there are people out there who are in need. And so it makes sense to me that one of the three greatest temptations that Jesus Christ faced on the earth in the desert there 
Second, only the temptation to die on a cross was to cease to trust that God would provide, that God was with him, that God was there, that God could meet his needs. And so as we go to the communion table today, I want you to think about and be reminded to ask God that question. Are you with me? Do you, do you recognize the Lord's presence in the table amongst one another? This is why it, will, it is becoming so crucial for us to gather back together. Mistrust in the world and in our society is only growing and we must come together and allow the spirit of God to renew and strengthen our ability to answer the question with an amen, with an affirmative that yes, God is with and among us and will provide our needs and the stones that need to be stones can remain stones and God will still be who God is in our lives because... We do not live by bread alone. Let's pray. So Lord, thank you for this morning and uh, this word. Thank you that you struggled in your flesh with the same temptations that we have to not trust, to not trust you, to not trust one another and even ourselves. Pray that you would meet us in an important way this morning at the table. Amen.